Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. Hello, Marketeers. This week, we're mixing things up a little bit, and I'm reposting an interview I did with Matthew Winkelstein over at his podcast, The Buyer's Market. If you enjoy this episode, I have a link to his podcast in the show notes. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. You're joined today with your host, Matthew Winkelstein. We are joined by a special guest, Keelan Cox. I uh, discovered Keelan through her podcast, which we'll get into later. Uh, she's the host of the AC Marketeers podcast, which is great if you're into marketing, great if you're in the AC space. Highly recommend everyone check it out. She's also a senior marketing specialist at Stantec. She was the marketing coordinator at Faith and Gold, which is an S&C Lavalin company. Super interested to hear about that. She has her BA from UC Santa Barbara. She's completing her master's from Harvard. And if that wasn't enough, she also was the president of SMPS, which is the Society for Marketing Professional Services. And before she was president, she had so many roles that I can't mention them. So <laughs> Keelan, thank you for being a guest and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, of course. So I reached out to Keelan because I, this is actually our, you're our first marketer that we've had on the podcast. Oh, look so, at that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably should have said that off air, but she just found out when everyone else did. So I, I'm really excited to have her because I, I've heard her talk through her podcast. Her podcast is really interesting. She's covered everything from mentorship, leadership, mental health with her father-in-law, which was a cool episode. She's also done some good things tactically for AEC marketing professionals, whether it's on the proposal side, on the actual marketing side, and then also a recent episode of Upward Management, which I think a lot of young professionals, but especially professionals that haven't been in the business, they, they struggle with that quite a bit. So really good listen. I'm excited for this interview for a couple of reasons. First, Keelan has a cool career story, which I'm going to shut up in a minute and let her talk about. But then also we have some cool things that we want to discuss about where we think marketing is going in the AC space, where we think the professionalism of the career is going to go. And I believe at least how we think that this is going to grow into something bigger and different than what it was before, maybe taking some of the shine away from sales. Not to put too much shine on sale. I was in sales, but all right. So Keelan, I'm going to quit talking as much now. And why don't you tell us what got you interested in marketing, if that's what you were thinking about in school and uh, what led you to your first marketing job? Yeah, so marketing was not on my radar whatsoever. I entered college as pre-med mm -hmm. and quickly realized that organic chemistry is just a no-go for me. And to get a writing credit, one of my friends said, hey, we have this professor at UCSB. He's teaching um, an environmental studies course and you get a writing credit. And I was like, cool, yeah, I need a writing credit. So I went to the course. I he was the professor that started the environmental studies discipline at UCSB. So he's a big deal. And it was his last course that he was ever going to teach. He had cancer. So that, there, it added a little bit of weight to it. And I loved the course. Ended up switching my major to environmental studies and carried through with that. Then when I graduated, I moved to Chile because there were jobs in Chile. And I had done my study abroad there. And so I knew just by seeing my friends get jobs that there was some potential there. So I worked at an architecture firm in Chile doing 
lead coordination. So lead the, the building certifications. And then from there, moved to a sustainability startup where I was in charge of communications. So that was sort of like the first little toe dip into marketing. And then when I moved back to the U.S., my dad is a land surveyor, or was, he just retired, for Michael Baker International. And so he got me in touch with his marketing professional, Sue Pender, who became my mentor. She got me my first job as a marketer at this little company called Innate Specialists. And from there, she was like, you need to get into SMPS and you need to volunteer. And so I did those two things because I was like, Sue, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. So went to work at Innate Specialist, then Faithful and Gould, and then they were acquired and I jumped ship and <laughs> went to Stantec. So. Awesome. So it yeah. sounds like you were first interested in, in the environmental studies portion and then that's what got you into marketing? Yeah. Yep. I thought I was going to be on the other side of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a very interesting kind of career trajectory there where you're really in the sciences and then getting out of the sciences. And I think that people that say that marketing isn't the sciences don't understand what, how much goes into human psychology and you know yeah. the art of design, but that's okay. They can think that. So I'm curious, when you took that first communications role, what was interesting to you about it? And what did you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm passionate about environmental studies or the environment in general. And I think this is an opportunity to leverage that in a unique way. I think... Being in the communications role, it sort of exposed me to the fact that even when you're doing great work, your clients don't necessarily know what you're doing until you tell them that. And I was also bilingual and a lot of our clients were English speaking. So that sort of helped. That's that's why I was slotted into that role in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't actually very happy about it. I had started thinking that I was going to be a sustainability consultant. And they're like, yeah, you're going to do communications. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I need this job. So I'm going to stick with it. But as time went on, and when you work for a smaller company, you start to realize the different facets of communication. So you've got your website, you've got your social media channels, which back then they were there, but they weren't as prominent. I don't know if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. That and then getting communications out to your clients. I was like, this is really cool. This still lets me leverage the technical side of my brain and this new creative side that I was sort of lacking as a consultant. So, yeah, that's very interesting because I, I I have to assume, you know, based off my own experience that because you have that technical background, you're able to relate to a lot of your subject matter experts in, in a little bit of a unique way and put yourself in their shoes a little bit more than someone that has never ventured into that field or really understand what it takes to be successful in it. Is that true? To a degree. Right now I'm aligned with water and that has nothing to do with what I studied. <laughs> I think it helps me find things more interesting than other marketers would. I can geek out a little bit more with like a water pipeline. <laughs> you know? I, I'm actually interested in how it works, which I mean, I'm sure other marketers are too, but it, it just, it really helps me engage that side of my brain and keep me happy in, in this role. Yeah, that's been, since I've been in marketing, that's been the funnest part for me. And, and even being a business development in this field is I'm not technical by nature. I don't know what I am by nature, but I'm definitely not technical, but I've really <laughs> enjoyed like 
learning from very smart people and trying to understand it to the best degree that I can and taking the approach that if I can understand it and I'm not that technical or smart, then a lot of other people are going to too. And so that's been a lot of fun being able to 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 stretch myself that way and then leverage it, all that technical knowledge into something that people would think is very just art based. Yeah. So you said that Faith and Gould was acquired. I'm going to assume that was by SNC Lavalin. Is that correct? Or were yes. they SNC Lavalin previously? So Faithful and Gould was a sister company to Atkins. Mm-hmm. And then Atkins was acquired by SNC Lavalin. Do you are you do you want to talk about why you decided to leave? Are you interested in that or not really? I wasn't really planning to leave, if I'm totally mm. honest. Yeah. When SNC acquired Atkins and then it sort of trickled down, we were all sort of wondering what was going to happen, as anyone does when you know you've been acquired. And <laughs> my current manager asked if we could go out to lunch. I was like, yeah, definitely thinking it had something to do with SMPS because she was on the board. I was on the board. I was like, okay, what are we, what are we going to troubleshoot? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, Keelan, I've had my eye on you through SMPS for a while. We have a position. Are you interested? And it was just a really good fit. I had sort of had my eye on Stantec since entering marketing in the AEC industry because of her. Mm-hmm. I looked up everyone's firms when I first joined SMPS just to see what everyone's websites looked like and what they were doing. And Stantec always really stuck out to me. So I was like, yep, absolutely. That's it. That's interesting. So when you were doing that research, and I think this is important for employers to hear too, because we talk, oh, yeah. we've talked about that in previous episodes of some of the some of the not so obvious benefits of, of why you need to create good content and tell people what you're about. It's not just trying to sell to your customers. People yeah. have a lot more choices now and they have access to information. If you're not showing up, how can they evaluate you? And I'd say a lot of people that have choices aren't going to evaluate just based off what you tell them because people have been misled before. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and if, you, if you're coming to a marketer, offering them a position saying marketing super important, and then I go to your website and it's crap. Marketing is not super important to you. I yeah. like I can see that right off the bat. And with Stantec, I could tell that there was a degree of respect for marketing and just from talking to Stephanie, so yeah. my manager. That's cool. So were you when you were doing your research to try just to evaluate companies, were you were you more interested in looking at the companies or were you interested in finding people that you knew at those companies? So I already knew the people. I sort of wanted to see what it was like where they worked. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see what their culture was. I wanted to see if any of them had sustainability plans, just out of curiosity. I wanted to see what their social media presence was like. I kind of wanted to get a glimpse into what all these people are working with on a day-to-day basis outside of proposal work that you know I can talk to them about that. But just to just to get a little window into what that company is like. Yeah, makes yeah. a lot of sense for young professionals thinking about making a move. You can lower the risk the more information you find out from people. There can be information overload, but if you can find a couple people that you trust inside the organization, you can learn a lot more. And then to your point, when you're saying, hey, we take marketing seriously. Hey, we care about this. Okay, show me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you were you were successful in previous roles and then you switched to Stantec. What did you do to make, when you first started in that role, how did you make sure that role was successful and what was challenging about it? I think 
success in any of what we do is a lot of of touch points. So it's getting to know people, realizing that they're not just the technical people, they're 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 people. They have stories, they have lives, and getting to know people for who they are is what I really tried to do at the beginning, trying to suss everyone out. I think that's what's made me successful. I listen to people, especially when they say that they've got too much on their plate. I think a lot of the times that we do respect it, but to a degree, I think there's this attitude of you're busy, but so am I. Mm -hmm. And it's not a, it's not a, but it's an, and like you're busy and I'm busy. So how do we make this work? I think that's what's made me successful. I'd have to ask my coworkers. No, that that's really interesting. And I like that you're busy and I'm busy. Um, and that can be an uncomfortable conversation sometimes. How have you, how have you stood up for yourself in those moments and been like, no, I'm, I'm busy too. And I respect that you're busy, but we have to find a way to get this done. Yeah. Well, number one, I have an excellent advocate in my manager. I, I know that I'm allowed to say no to things. Whereas I think some managers that I've had in the past are like, Hey, Keelan, can you take this? I say no. And they're like, cool, well, you're going to take it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really lucky in that I, I, first of all, recognize my limits of where my work is going to start to decline and I'm not going to perform to the level that everyone expects me to. So me being able to say no when I have to, and then that being respected by my manager, I think is the biggest thing because no one really wants to stretch themselves super thin it's sort of something that we do out of necessity or feeling like we can't, we don't have anyone to stick out for us. Now, sometimes we get into those situations where we didn't know we were going to be so overwhelmed and now we are. And I think that's just a matter of looking at it like a project manager, right? Like a project manager is looking at all their staff who has time to do what and sort of going through the calendar, figuring out how many hours you are going to allocate to to my project, how many hours I can allocate to this and being on the same page, like, Hey, maybe from this time to this time, 7am to 10am, I'm on this, you're on this. And then we have to move on to other stuff. And I think setting windows for them is equally as helpful to them as it is to you. So when it gets really, really tough, I think even just blocking out time on their calendar to work mm -hmm. that's not for a meeting is super helpful. Yeah, like one of your discussions, it sounds like you manage up well, because I could tell you as a, you know, a leader and a subordinate, depending on the time of day or who I'm talking to, it's uh, it's difficult at, from a leadership standpoint at times when people are saying, I, I don't have enough time to do this, I can't do this, but then they can't actually tell you what they have to do. It's like, do you actually know what you have to do? And it sounds like you have a really good understanding of here's what I have on my plate. If you want me to do something, I have to move this off. So I'm sure that also works reciprocally where when you bring information like that, you're not just saying, hey, I'm too busy. It's here's why. And then that sure. starts to create some trust. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even having if if that becomes an issue, having that prioritization talk of like, OK, well, here's what I have. Do you want to help me prioritize? <laughs> Yeah. What can, what ball can I drop to be able to yeah, get this exactly. done? Yep. <laughs> and I'm sure now I don't, I'm, 
It sounds like because of your relationship with your leader that was formed before you started, so you probably already had a good relationship. But would you give uh, young professionals that don't feel like they have that relationship with their boss some advice of how you start to cultivate that relationship with your boss so they feel comfortable bringing issues up like that? I think when you say no, you need to mean no, and you need to have a good reason why. So like you said, you can't just say, I'm busy, and then not back it up. You can't say no and then, you know, cave and take it unless new information is presented. That It's fine to change your mind if you have new information. But I would say transparency is probably going to be your best friend when you're dealing with a manager who may not actually understand what you do. And if you don't understand what you do, you need to figure that out. <laughs> if you just yeah. feel busy, but you can't quite put... Like a, you can't figure out exactly why you feel busy. You need to figure that out before you go to your manager and say, I'm too busy. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And we, we, especially in established companies or when you've been in a role for a while, you can end up with all these additional tasks that just end up being things that you do. And it's like when you take a step back three or four years later, it's like, wait a second, how did I accumulate two to four hours worth of work every week that has nothing to do with what I'm actually gauged from a performance standpoint on. Yeah. Yeah. Those can be tough, especially when you're, uh, when you want to be successful and you want to say yes, and it's, but it can bite you. I think you've, you've, you've articulated and outlined a good way to be able to discern that stuff for yourself, but also bring that feedback to your leaders so they can help you. Yeah. Thank you. And if your leader's not helping you and you're doing those things, you have a different problem and you need to find Get a out. leader. Get out. Yep. <laughs> Life's too short. There's a lot of opportunities out there. It seems scary, but there are no shortage of opportunities. One thing that, that gives me optimism in times that are kind of scary is when you look back at even the worst of times in the job market, unemployment, there was still like 80% of the people in the country that were employed and working during those right. times. And yeah. so it's... I've always thought I just can't be the bottom 25%. <laughs> if I can if I can if I can keep my performance towards the top and like, you know, not get an attitude like I, there will be something that someone will pay me to do and Yeah. Uh, it sounds probably dumb to some people, but it's it is reality when you look back at unemployment rates through history unless we're all of a sudden in a world war which employment was actually high during that time, then you're really not concerned about it. Right. Yeah. And especially in our field now, right? There's. I was going to say, our our skills are very transferable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm, and I'm sure you've experienced that being in um, the professional services group. It's not just AEC; it's professional services overall. Yeah, yeah. There's there's value we can bring in a number of different ways to a, a bunch of different business types, not just AEC. Our skills are really, really crucial to a lot of business operations. Absolutely. And I think that I think the pandemic has shined an even brighter light on that and also accelerated some treads in that direction. So, yep. Um, I want to talk a little bit more in detail about this, but I, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about man about SMPS. Sorry, the, the letters escaped my mind there for a second. So you said in the beginning that you had found some value in that. You were able to create a network in that. And I saw, you know, you had you had a lot of roles. You ended up as president. Great achievement. What? What did you gain the most out of that? And what would you say to people that are considering joining? Number, well, I was told to join and then I was told to volunteer. So I would say if you're going to join an organization, you should also volunteer in that organization. 
especially if you're just starting out. I took the hospitality role and I could not have made a better decision. It was sort of made for me in advance. <laughs> I went out to lunch and they're like, we needed a hospitality chair. Are you going to do that? I was like, yeah, sure. But I got to know faces and names just from passing out name tags. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you're interacting with literally everyone going to an event and you're new, now you know them, they know you. Mm. So I would say definitely volunteer. What I got out of it, I got so many things out of it. So I decided to be treasurer because I realized I didn't know how to do my own taxes. I was like, well, I'm never going to learn. And I don't know anything about accounting. And I have no reason to unless I take on this role that no one else wanted. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And that set me up really well to be president. I ended up being the youngest president our chapter had. And <laughs> I did it because no one else stepped up to the plate. And I was like, well, I have to be better than literally no one being president. <laughs> so it, it gives you the leadership opportunities that you might not have at your own firm. So in that circumstance, I got to manage a group of incredible people and I didn't really have that type of management experience before and I wouldn't have without SMPS. I think it also just gives you a really solid network of people. Every single job that I've ever had in this industry is because of someone from SMPS and you form these really tight relationships with people. I know that one of my friends works at a sub consultant that we're going to use. So I'm going to call her and say, Hey, <laughs> where's my stuff? This person's in charge of it and I'll get it a lot quicker. So it's just those relationships could not be understated. Like it's just, it's so huge to have relationships in this industry. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. And it's, it's trust, right? A lot of the stuff that we do is high consequence and there's a high level of trust in general where you can't always see what we're doing. It's, you know, especially it's becoming more of a remote world. So if you have people that can trust and know that you can at least deliver this minimum expectation, it's not as much of a risk for them either. So good stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. You, I, I really like the um, point you made about uh, being the host. I would have never thought about handing out the name tags. And first of all, I think that's a great thing to take away from it. I also want to point out that that's something that you could have easy, easily perceived as this is dumb. I don't want to do this. Like, what am I doing? I'm handing out name tags. And instead, you're like, I get to meet every single person in here. And <laughs> it's perspective, right? I, I just want to commend totally. you on your perspective, encourage other people to like, find those opportunities. The other thing I picked out of your story was it sounded like you weren't confident that you could be president, but when no one else stepped up, you were confident enough to say, I have no, I don't know if I'm good enough, but I'm going to figure out, not just assume I'm not good enough. Yeah. I actually, unfortunately, I had a, one of the people that I really looked up to <clears throat> told me not to be president. I was like, Hey, I'm considering this. I might run. And she's like, I don't think you should do that. And I really respected her. And so I waited it out. And no one else stepped up. And so I was like, okay, well, now, now it would be stupid of me not to. <laughs> yeah. But, Did she give you know, reasons why? Not really. No. It, and I don't think it really had much to do with me. She had been a president. Mm. So I think she may have been projecting her experience onto me. But I would say, like, I, I really wish I hadn't taken her advice in that circumstance. Yeah. I, I really wish I had, like, gone in 
guns blazing and, you know, won it instead of being like, hey, guys, I'll do it. <laughs> it's a little bit different when you win it that way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it all happened the way it was meant to, but yeah, maybe don't uh, always take advice from your mentors. <laughs> oh, I'm. you just hit on some very important things. I think takes everyone, all of us, time to learn. It's nobody has it all together. Even your most put together mentor has their own stuff that they work through on a daily basis. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be successful either. And right. life just continues to throw those things that you change at. The other thing you mentioned is her projecting. And I think as humans, we can't help but do. I tell everyone that I mentor, like, this is what's all I can tell you is what has worked for me. I can give you advice, yeah. but it's up to you to understand all the variables that I don't know about your life, what is really in your heart, all these things, and then take that mm -hmm. and either throw it out or apply part of it or apply all of it. Yeah. So I think that's very astute. And I, I hope that message comes comes across too. Yeah. All right. Uh, enough about Keelan's awesome leadership and uh, diving off the deep end into some some cool roles. Let's jam a little bit on AAC marketing. So I'm curious, just generally, how have you seen how have you seen the industry change from a marketing standpoint since you've been in this in this space? I think people are finally starting to understand that marketing is a very specific skill. It's not just the next step up from admin. It's tactical, it's strategic. And I think our our engineers and our architects are starting to understand that. I think, especially when there's a lack of marketing, it's felt now. <laughs> and the volume of RFPs that have, you know, slowly been picking up over, the you know eight to ten years that I've been part of this industry is it's really impressive. Whereas you, you used to be able to take time off between your mega pursuits, and now it's just like one right after the other after the other. So I think because of that, there's a lot more visibility about what we do and the skills we bring to the table. That's just personally, that's what I see changing. Yeah, I, I've. Ex I've experienced some of the same, some, some similar where I would, I, I, I've seen that, especially on the, on the individual pursuit side change a lot where I think the industry will eventually head and is starting to head now is paying a little bit more attention to that pre-pursuit stuff. So yeah. marketing is a lot been tied to proposals, external presentations, not that those things are important, but you have different objectives when you're trying to get a singular pursuit versus you're trying to grow brand awareness in an individual market. Right. And so I haven't, my experience hasn't been that a lot of people, a lot of companies have gone that far well, but I do see some of them focusing on it more, thinking about creating content, thinking about doing thought leadership stuff. Have you seen some of the same things or different? I mean, especially working at a company as large as Stantec, I think it is, yes, is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think because now we have specialists for different facets of marketing. So we have communications that does our blogs. Their value is basically stated in their role. Mm -hmm. And and then you have what I do is like the RFP side. And then you have our website people. And then you have our marketing IT people. So I do think there's a recognition that all of all of these disciplines need to come into winning work. It's not just you get an RFP, you respond to it. I do think that the pre-work is starting to be 
a lot more visible. And yeah. if you're not doing it, you can really see that it's not being done. Yeah. Do you think that that elevates the company's need for a strong online presence? A hundred percent. Yeah. Especially with COVID, I think that really called out some of the slackers because everything was online. So if you don't have online content, you have essentially nothing for a year. So yeah. I know a lot of companies who didn't have an online strategy or a social media presence that had to basically get that going within a matter of months to be able to keep a foot in the industry. If you're in the space, you've received a lot more emails and in-mails. And there are, there's been, a, there's been a lot of people that have tried it. I would say some have done it better than others. Some people have adopted old strategies. That, that's been some of the interesting thing for me is the AEC space obviously lags behind in this area in, in marketing, right? If you look at just B2C space, or even look at somewhere like B2B software as a service, enterprise software as a service, yeah. it's similar. There's there's technological barriers. It's high dollar size. It's technical buyers. It's mm -hmm. all these things that we face. And when you look at how they sell and how we sell, it's completely different. Um, yeah. And my question's always been, I don't think that buyers are that much different. It's just the way that we sell is different. And so over time, I'll be curious to see how much that stuff changes and how much more important it becomes to, to have that stuff out there and to allow people to self-pre-qualify instead of having to come talk to somebody. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot more awareness of the fact that one person in your client's organization can really make a difference in terms of you getting selected or not. So even though we are a B2B space, we really should be looking at what we do as B2C because you are selling your company as a whole to one person on the selection committee, but, and you have to make sure you hit them all. So it's yep. not just I'm selling Stantec is after this government agency. It's like there, there are people in there that are making this decision and you need to sell to them. You don't need to sell to the agency itself. You need to keep their culture in mind, but these are real people, you know, trying to spend tax dollars wisely if it's public and if it's private, just trying to do right by their company. So, yeah. And making it easier on the human that you're selling to is in your best yeah. interest. So with that, where do you think that, what do you think the marketers, the AC marketers role looks like in five to 10 years? I think it's going to be a lot more dynamic. I think there's going to be a lot more technology introduced into what we do that's completely separate from social media. I think our delivery methods of how, how we're getting our information across is gonna be a lot more interactive and a lot easier to digest. And I think once we get there, then we've sort of hit the, the catch up point with B2C. Mm -hmm. Not that it has to be the goal to, you know, to con continually try and catch up with them, yeah. But I do think it'll start to to close that gap a bit. Yeah, I agree. I, ho I hope so. And I, I think you, you, you mentioned it well there. It's, it's not trying to catch B2C necessarily, but it's those people that are buying consumer products are also B2B buyers. And if 
they're used to having information at their fingertips. And then all of a sudden you put it behind three layers of individuals that people have to talk to. It's, but then company B doesn't do that. Where are they going to get the information from? And when they need something, who do they think of and why? Is it your company that you put all the gates up to or is it the other company, right? And I think that continues to play out more and more. And, you know, when I talk to young marketers, I talk a little bit about there's, you know, depending on where, where they are in their career, they're like, well, sales is like, you know, it's not fair with sales is like this and marketing is like this. And it's like, hey, I do you know why salespeople make so much money? It's because they can generate disproportionately more revenue than what their actual salary is. Now, in I would argue that marketers are have that same opportunity where you have the ability to drive inbound opportunities in a way that really took salespeople before. And I think more and more marketers are going to have that opportunity through the years to demonstrate that where it's it's not as much of the brand stuff. It's like, can you generate opportunities if you can through that? Then, yeah, that's way cheaper than doing it the other way. All of a sudden, the marketer is even more valuable. I also think that that relationship is going to get a lot closer between your sales BD people and your marketing people because it's not, you know, one is bringing in more than the other. It's your BD person has a lot of valuable information that I think up to, you know, maybe even last year was just getting lost. Mm. And so there's going to be a lot more close coordination to win these large pursuits between your BD people who are out there and, you know, they're, they're the ears, they know what everyone's thinking, they know what everyone's talking about, and bringing that back in to the marketer who's going to try and think strategically about how to, to integrate all of this information into a document that that speaks to your selection panel. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point too. And it's one of the things when, when I talk to clients, when they don't have the marketing group involved and they're frustrated about their marketing, it's well, how are you giving them the information? Like the, you and you meet customers, your BD folks are always talking to customers. How are they getting that? And then right. it, it's interesting to me to see some of the, the frustration at times where it's like, this message is so off, or we would never say this. It's like, have you spent time to actually inform your marketing group? Like, what's your process that help them understand the customer as well as you do? And if you're not doing that, right. then how can you expect them to produce information that is in the same level as you are? Right, right. If they're not at the table, they're not going to hear it. So bring exactly. them to the table. Yes, exactly. Complaining. <laughs> let them meet customers. Like there are smart marketers. <laughs> there are smart people out there. Like let them. It's not, I think yeah. you, you said at one point in the conversation, it's not an admin role. There right. are admin functions in it, but there are admin functions in everything. You're telling right. me that entering sales information and CRM isn't an admin function? <laughs> right, which which is probably why they hate it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, very true. So I, I think this is a, a really good conversation. I want to have you back on at some point to talk more about this, but I want to end on a couple specific points. I want to understand what, what made you start the AC Marketeers podcast and just some of the benefits you've received out of it. And after we're done talking about that, we'll end with your best routine or habit. Oh, okay. So why I started the AC Marketeer podcast, I believe it or not, when I started it, there weren't a whole lot of podcasts about AEC stuff or marketing. And all the marketing stuff that I was finding was more geared towards B2C. And a lot of those principles, while they're valuable, they're not directly applicable to what we do every day. And I also, because I work in a larger marketing team, I have access to SMPS through my chapter, 
but there are parts of California because it's so large that some of my teammates on my own team don't have access to hear these speakers or to interact with people in their space the way that I did. And I was going to build business. I was going to PRC. And I was like, I get to meet all these incredible people who bring really cool ideas. And some of my coworkers are missing out on that. So what is the most accessible way to get that information out? Because it can't just be my own coworkers who aren't getting this information. And that was a podcast. And then when we had nothing to do in 2020, I was like, perfect. I can't go out anywhere. I, I can't meet these people in person anymore. So I'll just talk to them via podcast. And I, <laughs> I'm an ambivert. So everyone thinks I'm super extroverted. I'm not. I really like these one-on-one -on -one conversations. So it's a way to have really deep conversations in a way that I'm super comfortable with. And I, you know, I hope that my guests are as well. So that was sort of the, the reason why I started the podcast. What I've gotten out of it is talking to people like you. I just, I, I never would have had this opportunity without the podcast. And I'm sure you can relate. You, mm -hmm. it's so easy to just reach out to people and say, Hey, love what you're doing. Can we talk? And I think that's something unique to the podcasting world where it doesn't take a whole lot of coordination and you just get to talk to really interesting people and learn a whole lot. So now, you know, every single time I talk to someone, I learn something. So I've gotten a lot out of it personally. <laughs> awesome. What about your coworkers? Do they, uh, have they enjoyed the content? Some of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair, fair. I know my manager listens every once in a while, and I know the the specific coworker that I was thinking about definitely listens all the time because she already wanted that information. Yeah. Um, I think everyone else sort of hears about it and is like, oh, that's just another thing that Keelan's doing. <laughs> it's good to know there are other people like that in the world that get the like, oh, they're doing that again, or they're doing this, or mm -hmm. yeah, sounds like something they would try. Yeah. Um, now I have to look up what an ambervert is because I don't, I've never heard that term. And it's right in the middle between an introvert and an extrovert. Mm. So Mary Abijay, I, I read her book and she has this, the, the managing up mm -hmm. and she has this little checklist that you can go through. And it's like, are you an introvert? Are, are you an any or are you an Audi? And I scored like dead center. And I was like, well, that makes sense why none of these personality tests work for me because it always slots you either extrovert or introvert. So yeah, now that, I know. <laughs> I'm going to have to do more research on that because I, everyone assumes I'm an extrovert. I can be extroverted, I guess, but it's more in those smaller settings. Like I don't enjoy, sure. I don't enjoy going to like events and shows and talking to a hundred something people at once. And like, I know other BD people that like, they just get they're energized by that. And yeah, like I can, I can feign like I am. People yeah. think I'm energetic. People think I'm having a great time, but really I'm like, I can't wait to get home and not do anything for 24 hours. Like no one talked to me. I don't want to have a phone call. I don't want to do this again. So I really, really, really <laughs> do some more research on that. that. So would you say that overall net positive creating a podcast, you like, you like what you're doing and going to continue to do it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think because it's just my own project, I like it even more. Yeah. Everyone, when I talk about this and that I don't get paid and, you know, have to do it 
on my own time. They're like, why do you do this? Just like, it's fun. It's really, really fun. And yeah. if I got paid, it wouldn't be worth it. Like you yeah. cannot put a price tag on what I do. It just wouldn't be enough. <laughs> yeah. You make yourself insane thinking about how low your hourly rate is or your podcast versus. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Those aren't, those aren't important math calculations. Mm-hmm. All right. This has been, this has been awesome. I can't wait to have you back on again. We'll reach out here in a couple months and we can just jam more on AC marketing. But before we wrap up, we like to end the show with everyone's best routine or habit. You're obviously a successful person. You've made career journeys. What is the one thing that you do that you think sets you up for success the best? I, oh gosh, that's hard. I think I write everything down, everything. And I think that has really, really helped for a while. I thought I could keep everything in my head. Mm -hmm. And I just have learned to not rely on my own memory. Yeah. That's it. That's a good one. And you know, one one thing that I've picked up on hearing from everybody is a lot of these habits that make the very successful people that we've had on here are the simple habits, but the execution is never simple. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Keelan, thank you again for coming on. I want to encourage everyone to check out the AC Marketeers podcast. We'll put it in our show notes and then we'll also put it on the end of the clips when we post on LinkedIn. Um, in the comments, you'll be able to see it there. I'm sure Keelan won't mind if you connect around LinkedIn. So go ahead and do that too. And uh, everyone have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Keelan. Thank you, thank you so much.